perspective. So why do we not live for ourselves, in other words? Why do we no longer view others from a worldly situation? What does this mean, and how do we do it? So the why we no longer live for ourselves, and, and the why we no longer want to see things from a worldly viewpoint, is because when we do that, it holds the people that we would be seeing from that worldly viewpoint or that worldly perspective, it holds them in bondage. It holds them in bondage. Our worldly attitudes, our incorrect thinking, not thinking according to the word, which is what Sharon was just saying, our worldly attitudes toward people and can hold them it captive. It diminishes, it diminishes their value. This is actually going to tie in with the stuff that we've just been doing. So just hang on. Do you want to be seen through the eyes of the world or do you want to be seen through the eyes of God? Do you want the Lord to help you see your situation through his eyes? or for the eyes of the world. You see, his eyes are beautiful, the way he sees things. He has a vision of you, and that's what is going to come to pass in our lives. So the troubles that we're going through, these light and momentary afflictions, you see, we won't stay in that, will we? Because we're going to submit ourselves to the Lord, and we're not going to see things from a worldly perspective. God does not view, okay, I'm going to talk about people now. God does not view a person that is sinning according to their sin. You, you understand that? He doesn't view them according to their sin. He deals with the sin. He doesn't tolerate the sin, but he sees the person beyond that sin. He sees the person free from that sin, from that bondage. God loves every human being, every human being. So when you look at situations in a person's life or a loved one's life, and you might be tempted to think that that's hopeless or that the devil's winning. See, we change. We're going to change your thinking about that today. He loves everyone, and he has established his potential in every single person whether that person walks in that potential is up to that person, of course, but also how we approach, how we pray, how we view that situation has bearing. It plays a role in the victory of that person's life. Is this making sense to you? Okay. He created us, God created us to walk in his divine calling, in relationship with with him. So when we view a person and we judge them as equal to the sin or equal to the problem, okay, when that's how we judge them, we are in essence saying that they will never be equal to the calling that God has put on their lives. And he has a calling on every person's life. And you are going to be, you are instruments in helping that person walk in that calling. So 
we are saying, if, if, if we judge a person according to that worldly circumstance that we see, that worldly condition, if we judge them according to that, we are basically saying that they will never arise beyond that difficulty, if that's how we see them. That's what we're saying in our hearts. And we are saying that they will not arise into the purpose that God has for them in their life. So we're in essence saying that they are hopeless and we're declaring prison over them. That's really what's happening when we see things by the world. See, we're not meant to see things by the world. We're not meant to see things by the flesh. If you are a born-again child of the living God, you have a new vision, okay? So the way in which we view a person determines how we treat them. It determines how we treat them. You may not be aware of that. You may not think about that when you're treating them a certain way, you know, or, or, but it, it has bearing on them. When we view a person from the attitude of the world, okay, you look at the difficulty or you see that as bigger than God, right? We don't want to see their situation as bigger than God. When we view them from the attitude of the world, we fail to treat them as the already, already, already work of Jesus finished, glorious, creation, valued, able, appreciated, appreciated, capable individual that God has made them to be. So when we see, listen, but when we change our attitude, when we don't see them the way the world sees them, when we see them the way Jesus sees them, when we see them the way the Father, even people that have hurt us, even people that have hurt us, when we see them as Christ's seed, okay, when we see them with Christ as their seed, just like he's your seed, right? You, you as born-again believers in Christ, when you see Christ as their seed, when we truly see that in them, we treat them with hope. We treat them with encouragement. We treat them with gladness. We treat them with joy. We treat them as though they are victorious as we are in Christ. And we treat them as though they are God's garden. Each of you is a garden of, is a garden of God's life and love, right? So when we choose, when we cease to see them in that bondage, we, we don't define them by that. When we choose to stop doing that and not see them, we see them instead or rather as just one of his gardens that needs to be watered. His garden that needs to be watered. And guess what? You get to do the watering. You are so blessed that you get to be the one who waters. Hallelujah. We feed them with hope, and they become hopeful. 
And they will, they will, they will walk in God's divine destiny for them. There is no situation hopeless to God. And it grieves my heart, it really does, when I hear people say things like, it, it's shameful. I've talked to them a million times, and it's never going to change. It's never going to get any better. That person's never going to change. Well, the person who needs to do the changing there is you. Because that is, that is committing murder in that person's life. I can't put it any stronger. You are committing murder when you speak those words over someone. That is not your job. As blood-bought children, as, as children of God, with minds transformed, it is our duty to speak life to every situation, every person. And regardless of whether you've seen the change yet, you have no right to speak that way. It is a sin. You only have the right to speak life no matter what the situation looks like. So, what does it actually mean to no longer regard others from a worldly point of view? It means that we will not judge that person by their sin or their circumstance. We're not going to judge that person by that. We are going to judge them, if it's ours to judge, but this is a good judgment, we are going to judge them by their worth to the Father. You need to judge yourself by your worth to the Father. That's where it starts. You know, most people who are judgmental towards others, they haven't judged themselves to understand their worth to the Father. People who, you know, if you have a problem with walking in condemnation or guilt or whatever, it's because you truly don't understand how much God loves you. So it all needs to start there. But anyway, let's get back to other people. So even when you were in sin, when I was in sin, and, you know, we all make mistakes every day, right? But even when we were in sin, God saw you worthy enough for Jesus to die for you. He saw you worthy enough for Jesus to die for you so that you could be reunited, so that you could be reconciled back into his, well, not back into his love, because he always loves you, but by his love, back into unity with him, relationship. He saw what was under the sin in our lives, right? He always sees what, what, where, where the root is. He sees your value underneath that sin, you see what I'm saying? He saw whatever the hurt was that drove you to that sin. You know, he sees the hurt. He sees the pain that drives people to that sin. And he knew and he knows that you and every one of your loved ones can come to a point and will come, will, I use the word will, will come to a point for you in your life, for them in their lives, to live beyond that sin, to be totally redeemed, 
totally reconciled, totally set free. Are you all, is this making sense to y'all today? Okay. So he saw Jesus, the Father. They see what the sin is doing, and yet they believe that, and know that there is this whole new creation just waiting to burst forth, just waiting to burst forth, if only given the light of the love and the compassion and the mercy and the forgiveness and the loving kindness of the Lord. There is no battle that you're in the midst of that the love of the Lord will not be victorious over. So, what Jesus did for us, we need to do for others. We need to do for others. Isaiah 42, 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. You see, when we view others from a worldly point of view, that's what we're doing. We're breaking them. We're snuffing them out. We're not going to do that. We're not going to choose to do that. We're not going to let our words do that. We must not do that by viewing others from a worldly perspective. We will not be moved by what we see. We will not be moved by what we feel. We will only be moved by the Spirit and the word of God. We will stand resolute until we see that victory manifest in the lives of our loved ones and those that the Lord puts us into contact with. So how do we do this? How, how when we live in this world, do we not see people from a worldly perspective? You know, that's where so much struggle comes in. You know, struggle with your siblings or struggle with family or friends. You know, as we're seeing them from how the world sees them. But if we elevate our eyes and we elevate our heart into the heart of God, you can't see them from the world. You can't. That vision just disappears because you receive the vision of God, the heart of God. So, we regard them, so how do we do this? We regard them the very same way that Christ regards them, that Christ regards us. We, we think about, how did Christ regard me? How did he pull me out of the muck and mire? He saw me differently. He saw my value. He saw my worth. He didn't see me as a problem. While we were yet sinners, he was fulfilling. He saw us fulfilling his mighty plan for us. He, didn't, he never sees us any differently. While we were yet sinners, he, seed up, he saw us fulfilling his plans for us. While we were yet sinners, he loved us. While we were yet sinners, he gave Jesus to die for us. See that? While we were yet sinners, he kept shining the light of glory in our path. His mercy, his grace, his loving kindness. 
while we were yet sinners. He gave us truth. He gave us grace. He gave us mercy. And he has enabled every one of us to be that in other people's lives. And it is what we are here. It is our purpose. It is what we are here to do for others. We are here. You are here. I am here. Now think, this is, this is a big concept. But you are here to be the seed of Christ. Now don't, please don't let that disappear from your spirits and your heart. Say that I am the seed of Christ to those around me. Isn't that amazing that he has that much confidence in you? You are the seed of Christ. You are the seed of mercy and grace and truth to others. 2 Corinthians 3, 6 through 8. 2 Corinthians 3, 6 through 8. He has made us competent. You are competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, <coughs> but the spirit gives life. <coughs> now, if the ministry, amen, that's true, amen, that's a big amen. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters of stone, which you all understand, came with glory, okay, even it came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, because of its glory, fading though it was, even though it was fading, it had glory. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? You are designed to minister in the Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. You are meant, you are designed, you are created to minister in the Spirit. The very Spirit of God. When you walk into a room, his presence invades the territory. Demons flee. Do you understand that? Demons flee. They cannot stand in the presence of God. They cannot. Did I say cannot? God has made you competent. Say, I am competent. God has made you competent to truly minister his glorious, glorious, glorious grace and mercy and truth. He has made you competent by giving you Holy Spirit. Your competency is in him, not in yourselves. He has made you competent by giving you the Holy Spirit, his very spirit dwelling, once you're a born-again believer, 
dwelling on the inside and through you. His spirit of truth. What does that do? It makes you, it makes you the testimony of Christ. You are the testimony of Christ. The Holy Spirit only testifies of Christ. Put it together, beloved. Come on. Put it together. You are the testimony of Christ as you walk with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit will instruct you every single time on how to minister life in a situation. Do you know every single one of you can lay hands on people and they'll, and they'll be healed? Do you know that? Every single one of you. Jesus did it. <laughs> it is so time. It is so like well past time for us to start understanding that we have the exact same ability to walk the way that Jesus walked through Holy Spirit because they're the same and that's what God put in you when you became born again as a born again believer. Hallelujah. That's right. It's absolutely right. Greater works. You are not a minister of the letter of the law that kills. That's not you. You're not supposed to be. You are not supposed to be hitting people over the head with the law. You are supposed to be, we are too, minister, Holy Spirit, love, life, mercy, grace, truth. The Holy Spirit will never disagree with Jesus. So we are not to minister the law that kills, but by the Holy Spirit, we are to be, you are, you you are transformed into his very character, his word, his guidance, his light, his love to others. Have you thought of it that way? Have you thought I'm the character of God? Is that too big for for us? No, it's not too big because it's the way he planned it. And it's the way we need to think. You get to be his character. You are Christ's partner. You are... Think about it. You are Christ's partner here. Not only are you his partner, boy, the Lord just keeps bringing that up to me today. You are the seed of Christ. You are his partner. You are able. You are equipped by Holy Spirit. You are men and women sent from God. You are men and women sent from God. 2 Corinthians 2.17 Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. You are sent from God. You are sent from God. Say, I am sent from God. You are his fellow laborers. You are his fellow, you are his partners. 1 Corinthians 3, 9. For we are God's fellow workers. That's you. You are God's fellow worker. You are God's field. You are God's building. If that's the truth, which it is because the word says it, people get to run into you and feel the sanctuary of God. They get to run into you 
and be helped. Since we are Jesus' fellow workers, we are his laborers, we are his partners, he has made available to us exactly and all, did I say exactly and all, the same tools that he used when he walked this earth. The same, not different, not less, the same. He would not expect you to accomplish his mission without his tools. Does that make sense? We have the same spiritual blessings as Christ. Hey, you all got tools today because it was Father's Day. Okay, so every time you pick up that tool, I want you to think you are being the hand of Jesus. Every time you pick it up, you're going to say, I'm going to let the anointing fall. (laughs) We have the same spiritual blessings that Christ had. Nothing diminished. Nothing diminished. Ephesians 1.3, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So we are without excuse to not be Christ. We are without excuse. You have every spiritual blessing that Christ had. So what does that include? Well, let's think about it. Most importantly, it is the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The infilling and the baptism available to every single person. It is not withheld from anyone who will embrace him. It is all the fruit of the Spirit, all of it. Galatians 5.22 Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of it gets planted into you the minute you're born again. Now you just have to walk it out. You just have to, uh, what's the word? You know, cultivate it. Cultivate those fruit. It's the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit. Wisdom, knowledge, you know, gifts of knowledge, gifts, gifts of wisdom, Uh, faith, gifts of healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in different kinds of tongues, interpreting tongues. Okay, those are the, the nine gifts of the Spirit. And as we cultivate these, as we grow, we choose to grow. Y'all, it is time to be hard fast after this stuff. I mean, it it is way, way past time to be hard fast. You need to approach this with fire in your bellies, with fire in your heart. Wrestling with the angel, he said, I will not let go until I am blessed, until you bless me. The devil wants you to think that these things are not for you, that they're for some special elite It is so not true. It is so not true. It is time to be hard after. Hard after. The gifts and callings of God manifest through you 
in your life. As we cultivate these and grow in these fruits and grow in these gifts, we truly become God's fragrance here. We truly are an aroma released by him. Have you ever walked into a room? Uh, and I've done this. Have you ever walked into a room and, okay, and I'm not talking about candles or those electronic scent things. Have you ever walked into a room and just felt, I mean, smelled this beautiful aroma? Someone with the presence of God, the presence of God is there. It's a pleasing and present, pleasant aroma. A person feel filled with the Holy Spirit, when you get around them, it's not their perfume. You will smell the aroma of God. I've smelled that before. I'll walk into a room. The other day I was in our house, and I walked into a room, and there, there weren't any scents, and I, I just smelled the presence of God. You see, we're, he's, he's with us all the time. You can just smell his beauty. And that's what you are to people. That's, that's who you are. And people will be attracted by your aroma. They will be, they will be transformed when you walk in the fruit, when you walk in the gifts. And that's why it is so important to allow our souls to be transformed by the fruit and the gifts of the Spirit. Allow our souls. Transform souls are life. They are the life of Jesus. So one way to do this, to, to contend for this, to walk in this, is to think the way God thinks, right? Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is what we're supposed to recognize. This is what we're supposed to go after in our own lives and then recognize it in yourself. Recognize that. Recognize the beauty that God has made you. Recognize that. And then recognize that in others. Don't recognize the fault. Recognize the beauty, the praiseworthy, the excellent, the good, the noble in them. We are not to be gossipers and haters and backbiters and fault finders. That's hell on earth. Have you ever been around anyone like that? It is hell on earth. I mean, I can't even say that enough. It is hell on earth. Nobody wants to be around that. Be beauty shedders. Be the light and the glory of God. Be the kindness of the Savior. So we're going to think about these, these beautiful things and we're going to look for them intentionally in other people. We're going to seek them out and we're going to take that and we're going to work with that. 
And we're going to say, that is beautiful about you. And when you do that, you are going to bring so much hope and so much life to that person, and it will spread into other areas of their lives. Be kind, be gracious, be glorious on their behalf. Seek the beauty, find the beauty. You can do this, you can do this, because you no longer get this. This is what we've been studying all year. You can do this, because you no longer have a veil of separation between you and your father. The veil is gone. The veil is gone. Hallelujah. And we need to understand that and we need to get that image in our lives. You no longer have a mask of secrecy and separation between you and your father. Maybe some of us can't relate to this because maybe there was always some veil between us and our fathers. But it is gone in Christ Jesus. And if there is a veil to you as a child, you need to let go of it. You need to walk in forgiveness. I don't know where that came from, but anyway... So there's no longer this mask of secrecy and separation between you and all the mysteries and all the goodness of God. Did you hear me say what I just said? All the mysteries and all the goodness of God unveiled, unmasked in Jesus. In Jesus. We're no longer playing peekaboo. You know how we play peekaboo with kids? Now you see me, now you don't. We don't play peekaboo with our Father. We get to see it. We, we have an eternal vision. We get to be in union with our Father. You have intimacy with God as a believer. Intimacy. No more veil. Listen, 2 Corinthians 3, verses 12 through 16. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we have a hope, we have this beautiful hope, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was falling away, fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away and in Christ it has been taken away the cross he said it is finished it is finished it is finished the veil has been removed even to this day when Moses is read a veil covers their hearts but whenever anyone turns to the Lord The veil is taken away. The veil is taken away. So I cannot emphasize enough, Holy Spirit cannot emphasize enough that you have 
a ministry of the Spirit that enables you, it empowers you, it gives you authority in Christ. You know, if we all could just see how little the demons really are, we would all just start laughing. We would all just start laughing. I don't think we would ever be bothered again. He, the, the devil can only work on your mind, but if you get your mind transformed to the word of God, he cannot work, he cannot work with that. He can't bring you harm. It's only the thoughts that we relinquish to him that can cause us trouble. So I cannot emphasize enough that you have the ministry of the Spirit. John 20, 21 through 23, it says, As the Father, listen, listen, as the, this is Jesus, this is Jesus. As the Father has sent me, I have sent you. As the Father has sent me, I've sent you. Like he's not making any distinction between how he's sent and how you're sent. No distinction. He's saying, as my Father has sent me, I am sending you. The same. And listen what he did at that moment. Listen. And with that, he breathed on them and said, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Done. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Believer, son and daughter of Christ, Jesus has breathed on you. He has breathed the breath of life in you. His very breath living in you. The infilling and the baptism of the Holy Spirit are your empowerment. They are your way to be sent as Jesus was sent. Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them, all of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Jesus would not have said, wait until you receive power from on high if it were not important. The yoke of bondage is destroyed by the anointing. The yoke of bondage is destroyed by the anointing. Isaiah 10, 27. And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. As you walk in the anointing, every yoke 
is destroyed. Every name must bow to the name of Jesus. Healing belongs to you in every area. Demonic influence has no right, no authority, no power in your life. God has given us his spirit. He's given us his heart of compassion. We have a new heart of flesh rather than a heart of stone. We no longer have the heart of the law. By Jesus' compassion in us, we bow before him. You know, the compassion of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, the love of Jesus will cause us to bow before him. To bow before him, like we talked about last week. We bow before our Lord and Savior. And we allow, that's truly, that is truly, what allows his heart to be our heart when we bow in reverence. That is truly what allows his heart to become our heart. And then his heart gets showered on other people. We no longer live for ourselves. That was our foundation scripture, right? We no longer live for ourselves. And when we do that, we no longer see the, wor- the people around us, from a w- the circumstances around us, from a worldly point of view. He heals in mercy and compassion. And so we choose to walk in his mercy. We choose to walk in his compassion because we're bowed before him. We love others as he loved. We understand the pain that he feels when he sees someone struggling or when he sees someone who's lost. We ask the Lord to allow us to feel that pain so that we can have mercy and compassion on that person rather than judgmentalism. Do you know when you judge, when you are judgmental toward another person, you are truly judging yourself and really what's happening there is you are inhibiting yourself from being able to, f- to comprehend the love of God? That's really what's happening when you're judging, when you are judgmental toward other human beings, other people. You're judging yourself and you're making your heart hardened so that you can't fully understand how much God loves you. That's really what's happening there. So, we choose to walk in the mercy, loving each other as he loved us and asking him to help us see their struggle. So when we do that, we actually take on his nature. We get rid of our fleshly nature. We walk in that new creation of Christ that he has made us to be. We see as he sees. We feel as he feels for the lost and hurting. I'm going to just tell you a little secret that the Lord's been dealing with me lately. And I'm sorry if this is just getting way long, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach it. Um, but recently, okay, because at the beginning of the year, you know, he said it was time for this church to walk behind the veil, on the other side of the veil. If you've been here, it's a promise that you have. Period. It's just a promise that you have. If you are part of this body, it's just a promise. I mean, I'm, 
it has nothing not to do with me, but I know because I tarried for this. I know this. I know this. I know this. I know it like I can look at the back of my hand. He told me at the beginning of the year that this is going to be a year where this body walks behind the veil and will understand and will receive true revelation of what that really means. And so lately I've been talking to him and I've been saying, okay, Lord, we studied all through Hebrews until you told me to stop on that and you moved us to other things. We studied all through that and you told me at the beginning of the year that when we walk behind the veil, when we got true revelation, what living behind the veil, what Christ really did for us and what that really means, that we were going to be seeing miracles and signs and wonders. We're going to be seeing people healed. We're going to be seeing all sorts of deliverances, okay? And so recently, you know, I just keep tearing about that. I just keep tearing about that. I just keep asking him about that. And so recently, that's why he's put us on this path. He said, when you bow down, you receive my heart. So I have been asking him, Lord, show me their pain. I've been asking him that. Lord, show me their pain. Lord, show me where they feel at loss. Lord, show me their suffering. Because I want to understand them with the same heart that you have toward them. That is the cry of my heart for, for this body and for people who will choose to come to this church. It truly is the cry of my heart. Nothing about me, but it is the honest, and, I, and I've been asking him, show me that, show me that, show me that. And when each one of us cry out to God for that, you will not stop the miracles. You will not stop the healings. You will walk in the miraculous. You will walk in the supernatural. You will walk in the health and healing of God. And I don't want to steal anybody's thunder either, but the last couple times, the last few weeks when we've laid hands on people, those people have called me and told me about their healing. Now, they may not feel okay sharing it in front of people, I'm hoping that, it, that they get to that point. But there have been healings. And it's the exact same thing that you're meant to walk in. It's not meant for just someone in the pulpit. So anyway. <laughs> but you see, we take on his nature we feel the pain, and we cannot ha help but have compassion and mercy and cry out for God to help them. The cry of our heart to help them. He is an ever-present help in time of trouble. Be that ever-present help in time of trouble. So our assignment, our assignment in sharing this ministry of reconciliation 
is to create moments, to create moments where the very virtue of God comes sweeping through into that person's very heart and soul, the virtue of Christ. We are here to create those moments through Holy Spirit where the virtue of God, the virtue of Christ, comes flowing into their lives like a river of living water that brings healing and restoration and life. The supernatural flow, it will change everything. And you are that instrument. It will change everything. The supernatural flow of God's glory. The supernatural flow of the very presence of Jesus. The supernatural flow of his majesty. The supernatural flow of his splendor into that person's life. And they will feel it, they will know it, they will sense it, and they will be transformed. You are here to heal and destroy. It will heal and destroy the yoke. It will lift and share the burden that that person has, and it will shed the light of the glory of God into that situation, and that situation will be totally redeemed. So walking in his love and understanding of other people's pain their situation, their circumstances will give us boldness to share his life, his love, his help, his hope, the hope that we have. And the most valuable thing, the most valuable thing that you can do on this earth is help another person in Christ. Nothing more valuable that you could ever do than help another person to be that ever-present help to them. We have been given this treasure not to squander on ourselves. Bless me, bless me, bless me. Make my life great. We have been given this, this beautiful treasure on this earth to help others so that we can share his story, the story of Christ, boldly, boldly. When you understand another's pain, another, another's pain you will never not be bold because you will see their pain the way that Christ saw it and you will not have a problem being bold for Christ because that's the only way that that pain can heal. So, when we do that, we make the unveiling a reality in other people's lives. You see that? We make that unveiling a reality manifest in somebody else's life. 2 Corinthians 4, 13. It is written... I believed, therefore I have spoken. With the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. Hallelujah. And present us with you in his presence all this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. This is all for the glory of God. Thanksgiving will overflow to the glory of God. What a purpose we have. What a blessed purpose we have. We know that the truth of the gospel made real to others, the truth of the gospel 
made real to others by the witness in our lives of Christ. Remember earlier I was saying, you are the testimony of Christ? Well, the gospel is made real to others by the testimony of Christ that you have. You have a beautiful testimony of Christ, and you're meant to share it. You don't even have to be eloquent. Just be real. Just be real. Just, I went through this, and this is how God helped me. And this is how he brought me out victoriously. And when you become that testimony, you will raise them from the dead. You will raise them from the dead. You will raise them from their slumber. from the pain of the prison that they're in. See that? So we speak forth boldly in the truth and compassion of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.12 Therefore, since we have such a hope, who has a hope? Since we have such a hope, I'm going to repeat this again. We are very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face. No, we are not going to do that. We are going to walk in the unveiled presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But when everyone, anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Don't you want to be the veil taker in someone's life? Don't you want to be the veil taker? Burn it up. Split asunder now the lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom don't you want to be the freedom carrier don't you want to be the freedom declarer in somebody's life and we listen this is what he calls you we with unveiled faces can you receive that about yourself in christ can you receive that We, with unveiled faces. That's you. That's how he defines you. That's how you need to see yourself and walk in the glory and the power that that means. Who, with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory. Do you understand that now you are a reflection of the Lord's glory? That's you, that's me, a reflection of the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness. You, the likeness of God to somebody with ever-increasing glory. That's you walking from glory to glory, ever-increasing glory in Jesus, not diminishing, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You are his glory carriers, meant to carry his glory, meant to be the image of God in the lives of others. That is not big talk. That is how he created you recreated you in Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.1, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry. See, it's not all about you, is it? It's not how well you do. It's not by your works. You have this, mer- this ministry by the mercy of God. His mercy qualifies you. We do not lose heart. So we do not see people then from a worldly perspective. 
2 Corinthians 3, 3 through 6. You show that you are a letter from Christ. You are a letter from Christ. That's you. Say, I am Christ's letter. I'm a letter of Christ. The result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. You are written with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. You have been rewritten. Your life has been rewritten because you have chosen Christ. Your whole life has been rewritten from that moment. Such, and you know, God saw you that way from before you were created, before you were born. Such confidence as this is ours <coughs> through Christ before God. So God knew you could do this. God has confidence. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So we no longer have the hearts of the letter of the law. We have hearts of the Spirit of God. So we boldly, we fearlessly, we with mercy, we with compassion set forth the truth plainly. We speak boldly, knowing that those who do not yet know Christ and those who, who struggle, maybe they know Christ, but they're in the middle of a struggle right now, cannot see the light in their present state. So we look at them in their present state. It takes you. You're going to be the light bearer. It takes you. We are the light that then dispels that darkness through the Holy Spirit, through Christ in us. You become that light, the very light of the glory. You are the light of the glory of God. His goodness his goodness to all who call upon him. You become the goodness of God when you walk this way, okay? We, so, so what do we do? We are diligent to transform ourselves by the power of the Spirit. We allow Holy Spirit to transform us. We lay down those things where, where we see ugliness, where we see unchristlikeness no matter what it takes, because that will never be pain to you. That will only be glory to you when you lay that down, when I lay that down, so that Christ's life then is truly revealed through us. So that's the part about, like, not living for ourselves, okay? And if we think it's going to be painful, it's not painful. It's only glory on the other end. And then we speak forth the life of Jesus, 2 Corinthians 4, 2. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to, listen, listen, please listen to this, to every man's conscience. We commend ourselves to every man's conscience. So where, are, where is that person in life? Right? Where are they in life? Where is their conscience in life? In the sight of God. 
The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. That's where you come in. And you're sensitive to their conscience. Who is the image of God? For God, bless you, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So that you become the face of Christ. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. That's not living for ourselves. That's not seeing others from a worldly perspective so that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken with the same spirit of faith. We also believe and therefore speak. So we become his instruments of glory and life. Now what does it mean to see them? It said right here, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience. I'm going to give you a couple scriptures on that because obviously the scripture explains it better than I could. The scripture tells us do nothing that's going to cause another to stumble. Okay? In order to do that, we're going to have to understand their conscience, where they are in life. We do not live for ourselves. We look where that person is in life. And so something that may be okay for us to do may be a stumbling block to that person. It may not be okay for that person. You see what I'm saying? You, c- you guys can go back and read all these scriptures. I'm going to give them to you. Matthew 16, 23, he said, this is Jesus talking. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me for you are not setting your mind on God's interest but man's. You see that? When we fail to set our minds on God's interest, when we choose to see the people in a worldly perspective, we could become a stumbling block. We don't want to do that. We want to think the way God thinks. Matthew 18, 7. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. There are things in the world that are going to cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but listen, but woe to the person through whom they come. You see, we don't want to be that person. We just want to be the light and the glory by transforming our minds to agree with God and our hearts to understand his compassion. So we need to make it our hearts not to be a stumbling block to others, whether it's something that, you're, that we would do or whether it's an emotion that we would display. Anger, greed, selfishness, pride, arrogance. See that? Those emotions can harm others. Romans 14, 13, and then 21. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind... 
not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. It is better not to eat drink to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So we need to consider where others are. They're, commend ourselves to their conscience. We need to understand where other people are in their walk and how our actions might affect them. Now we don't do this condemning ourselves. We do this by instruction of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit cares about them, but he also cares about us. So he's not trying to put us under the letter of the law. This is by the Holy Spirit. And as we give ourselves over to death in Christ, because that's what's happening when we do this, we are giving ourselves over to death in Christ, and we will transform our lives. This will transform our lives into his splendor. So what is it, what is it then to give up a few worldly trivialities in comparison to maybe preventing someone else to stumble? What is it to give that up? It is nothing. It is nothing in order to help a pr another person not to stumble, in order to usher life into that person through Christ. So in this manner, this is how we persuade men and women in the hope of the gospel of the good news. Because you will then be living in the righteousness that Christ has made you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ from the moment, from the moment you are a believer. You become the righteousness of God in Christ, and now you're walking it out. 2 Corinthians 5.11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. That's why. Because we fear the Lord. We choose to walk in the fear and reverence of the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. 2 Corinthians 5.16. We should no longer live for ourselves, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The new creation has come. So we walk into that new creation as a hope for other people. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Fathers, this is you. This is you in your home. This is you. God has confidence in you. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's in every manner. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we reconcile ourselves to God both in the death of Christ and in the subsequent life of Christ that comes alive, demonstrated in our lives because soul surrender is life in God. Soul surrender is life in God. We lay down our lives and then his life springs forth. And from this state of being, where we're walking, from this state of being, we see the potential new creation in every person we meet. Not judging them by their sin. We regard them as precious in the sight of God. Regardless of what it looks like. And it compels us all the more to be Christ's aroma, to be his transformed testimony. That's you, his transformed testimony to every person we meet. Because we never know, we never know, and you may never know until you get to heaven. We never know when one act of goodness or or one voluntary choice of restraint whether in act or in emotion will be that seed of transformation in that person's life. The seed of Christ to transform Every situation, every situation of death into life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So that's what the Lord had me share with you today. And I pray that that was a blessing. We are going to receive our tithes and offerings. We're going to um, take our communion. Communion is open to every believer in Christ. I'm going to apologize to you fathers for going long today, but the Holy Spirit had things to do. So happy Father's Day. Have a joyous celebration the rest of the day. We are so 